0: So, hi everyone, and welcome to our Biome video podcast about the reintroduction of osprey um, Woo. to the UK, which is very exciting. Um, so, I'm Emma, and...
1: I'm Roby, hello.
0: <laughs> and yeah, so thanks for listening to our latest video podcast. So, we thought we'd start out with a little bit of a um, sort of profile... About ospreys, what they are, and then sort of why they were driven to extinction in the UK, a bit about their evolutionary uniqueness, um, which would be interesting, um, and then a bit about their reintroduction efforts into the UK. Um,
1: Groovy. So, yeah. Can't wait. Let's go. Let's talk about ospreys.
0: Ospreys are amazing. I feel like I say this about everything, but the, the...
1: you do. Every single species we do. <laughs>
0: So, okay, if you haven't seen an osprey, you'll know what we mean. If you look one up, you'll see how impressive they are. They are these incredible birds of prey that exclusively eat fish. Um, And so they have a really impressive wingspan. I think it's about 1.6 metres in length. Um, So that's probably like here on me um
1: that's almost a whole emma's worth of it is almost a whole just just yeah just to use a a well-founded scientifically rigorous unit of measurement
0: (laughs) and i feel like i'm sitting (laughs) down so people probably don't even know how tall i am um (laughs) but yeah very sort of impressive wingspan that they've got um and they weigh about one and a half kilos um so you've actually i think with the females they are significantly larger so they're about 20 percent larger than the males i think
1: and And that's quite common in birds of prey that the females are larger, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, so a lot of yeah. eagles with the white tailed sea mm. as well, the females are yeah a lot bigger and a lot more formidable, <laughs> I think than, than the males <laughs> um, and so because of their exploitation and their history, they now have the highest level of legal protection they can kind of have um here Ooh, in the u k yeah, which is always good, so this is under the Wildlife and Countryside Act of nineteen eighty one, so that means it's kind of illegal to disturb or kill or um, injure any of the birds. Um, so, oh, so much to talk about. What what can I say about them next? <laughs> oh, I think maybe we should touch on. So they're these in- incredible migratory birds. They travel. I think it's around four thousand eight hundred kilometers every year which is a lot yeah so it's that's
1: many kilometers (laughs) it's
0: it's, and they do the journey in about 20 days i think there was one individual that even did it in 12
1: journey from where to where
0: so say the the european breeding ones that we'll get here in the uk Mm. they'll travel from um from the uk to west africa so places like senegal is where they will spend sort of the wintering months so you in the UK? So
1: that that's interesting because when I whenever I've seen I've never seen an osprey in the UK, but I've seen them in India and America, and I've always thought, oh, did it come from Scotland? But maybe not. Maybe our ones go to our ones go to West Africa.
0: The, I think the ones here mainly ta- they've when, the ones when they've satellite tagged them, um, hmm. they tend to end up in places like Senegal. Um, but it's an it's an interesting point you make there because it's either we could say it's a UK bird. That migrates to Africa, but technically it spends more time of the year in Africa. So technically, it's an African bird that migrates to the UK. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a very, that's a very British way of looking at the world. I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, we don't Dang, own there them. There we go again. <laughs> they just let them. They go wherever they want. And um, yeah, I think in the UK, if you see them, it'll be from like March to September. So that's when mm-hmm. when you'll get them here. Um, we should go
1: looking for ospreys.
0: We should. We definitely should.
1: They're not on our list, but we should put them on our list. And maybe now's a good time to, to just say why everyone's so interested in ospreys, because they're not a another eagle uh, or a another hawk. They're actually incredibly evolutionarily distinct. So the osprey Latin name is Pandian haliaetus, and it is the sole member of its genus and the sole member of its entire family. Wow. So to put it another way, you know... Bovidae is the family that has uh, cows, antelope, yaks, ev- basically everything with hooves that isn't an artida- uh, a Um Whereas the osprey is one species. Okay, some people say two, but I'm not convinced. One species in one genus in one family. And so no one actually knows with any certainty where this family pandionidae actually falls so some authors put it in with falconiforms which means the osprey's closest relate relations are falcons like the peregrine and uh what other falcons are there kestrels kestrels are falcons um and then some people put it in the order acip- acipitra no
0: that is, it sounds like a mouthful to say <laughs> i know
1: <laughs> acipitra yeah and therefore, it's the sister group of the hawks and the eagles. But no one actually knows the osprey is just this one species doing its thing, and just you know vibing. And no one quite <laughs> knows what 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 its deal is. And it's even more unusual in that it's one species in one form that occurs almost worldwide. There are even the, even the few subspecies are barely noticeable. Um, so yeah, it is an odd odd bird and that's partly why it's so special no
0: it is it's remarkable and um just yeah find that really interesting and i think even morphologic i know we shouldn't rely on morphological or behavioral traits necessarily to understand Mm. where species fit in with each other but it it looks quite different like you you yeah (laughs) i don't know it It doesn't really look like an eagle it's got a really long neck um, and I think people say you can mistake it even for a gull or a buzzard when it's flying because of yeah. the kind of the patterning and stuff. So, yeah, it's a very, yeah. very interesting bird.
1: And and what is interesting, just to throw a tiny bit of paleontology in there, just, you know, <laughs> otherwise I'll, my head will explode. Um, it seems to have stayed the same for a very long time. Like we have mainly just claw fossils and they've got really distinct claws so you can identify them but we've got claw fossils from the miocene and oligocene which is tens of millions of years ago which looked almost identical wow and so it's it's just been doing its thing for a long time and part of the reason why is probably they've managed to corner a pretty stable bit of the market like their aerial freshwater fish eaters there's always going to be fresh water and there's always going to be fish so they don't really need to change, I guess.
0: I guess, yeah, that just shows how well adapted they are because they have some wonderful adaptations, I think, to this lifestyle. So they've got these... Ooh, tell me
1: about the adaptations.
0: <laughs> they, um... <laughs> Let me just find the bit we've got about it. Um, so I think one of the cool things I find is they have these... There is... You wrote the scientific word for it. I just call them transparent eyelids. Do you know what they're...
1: <laughs> Nictitating membranes. <laughs>
0: There we go. That's a lot more scientific.
1: I want a nictitating membrane.
0: I wish we had nictitating membranes. (laughs) So what they are is basically these sort of, yeah, membranes that can kind of cover the eyes, almost like goggles. Um, So that enables them when they, they, because they hit the water quite hard, they scoop up fish with these um, amazingly adapted talons as well. So very, very long talons, which can grip the fish. And they also have, it's these, barbs or kind of grips on the underside of their um Mm. their their talons so they can hold on to slippery fish so they'll hit the water scoop up these fish they've got these nictitating eyelids (laughs) that's probably not (laughs) (laughs) um and then they've also got um i think it's quite oily plumage that they have because Mm. obviously if you're hitting the water and often they're partly submerged when they catch a fish you need to be able to get out and fly up quickly so they have strong, sort of powerful flight muscles as well because you don't want to be a bird stuck in the water.
1: <laughs> and and when they do hit the water, is it head first like a gannet or or feet first? It will
0: be feet first. So they sort feet of first. claws outstretched to grab the fish and then <laughs> rah, and then they kind of, because the feet go into the water then a lot of their wings kind of get, end up getting submerged as well. So you have to... It's quite impressive, especially watching slow-motion footage of it, actually, where they uh, then have to of that, kind yeah. of beat really, really hard to be able to lift themselves up. Um,
1: and just a weird, weird fact to slip in there. Obviously, ospreys need to take off from water, holding a heavy fish from standstill. And it was this ability that meant when the US Army was designing a plane which could take up vertically using helicopter propellers at the end of it, they called it the Osprey. Really? So there is a military aircraft there called the Osprey with propellers at the end of its wings which turn upwards and it can go and fly off.
0: I think that just shows you how you've got so much in nature that we are kind of catching onto as humans, but yeah. it's like nature found out how to do it well before we did. Um. yes
1: yeah (laughs) so why did we lose the osprey and and how because you know you don't see them everywhere anymore and you have to go to some pretty specific places in the uk to see them now
0: yeah so surprise surprise it's humans again we have a theme here of humans (laughs) being (laughs) the driver to extinction Mm. so they were driven to extinction in england in 1847 and there was sort of fragmented populations that actually managed to hold on in Scotland until 1916. So quite a disparity oh, wow. between... Disparency? Discrepancy? Yeah. I'm not sure what the right word is. Um, disparity? Possibly. <laughs> between or, or any of them. <laughs> yeah, could use them um, all. Between Scotland and England. But the ones in Scotland, I think, were no longer breeding. It was kind of like a solitary, oh, okay. migratory male. Um, mm. But, oh. yeah... But it's very positive because we've got a success story. But um, one of the biggest reasons why they were driven to extinction is because of intensive persecution and habitat um, loss and destruction in the 18th and 19th centuries. So during the Victorian times, um, it was quite fashionable, I guess is the word, to sort of be in the egg collecting industry. So their eggs were taken extensively so they only have probably about up to three um chicks and eggs and so they were often taken which then wipes out the the clutch for the year and then also in terms of having stuffed um impressive um sort of Mm. ornamental things that was something that yeah in the Victorian times do they
1: have do they have particularly pretty eggs like are they fancy colored or
0: Why why the Osprey's eggs? I don't know. I guess, I assume because of their size, it would be quite a big egg. Yeah. Um, But I haven't actually seen what the eggs look like. I assume they Hmm. must be pretty impressive if they were sort (laughs) of taken for hundreds of years. Um,
1: But as I understand it, it wasn't a conscious reintroduction when we got them back. Or at least it wasn't deliberate by us.
0: In Scotland, it wasn't. In the UK, it was.
1: You know Scotland's part of the UK.
0: That's not what I meant. In <laughs> No, I do know my UK geography. So in Scotland, it was not deliberate, but in England, um, it was a deliberate reintroduction and translocation effort. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend anyone Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, basically what happened with the reintroduction was there was breeding populations of ospreys that had survived in Scandinavia. So, which were kind of using this migration migration route um, sort of via the UK down to West Africa. And so they were able to come back into Scotland and sort of start recolonising the area. And sort of another big threat for the ospreys was the use of things like DDT, um, which was ah, these, the dreaded DDT. Yeah, which I'm sure anyone who's listening to this podcast knows what DDT is, um, sort of mass... Um, spraying of this pesticide that happened was it the 50s I want to say 19, or prior to that? I think
1: 50s and 60s I think just because prior to that there was the world war
0: yeah so this was post world war and um, yeah. as the use of DDT was phased out then populations began to recover elsewhere um, because what DDT does is it makes the shells of predatory birds really thin and so often the eggs would fail. So, with the Scandinavian oh, population um, that was still breeding, and then as numbers increased, as DDT was um, sort of phased out, then they recolonized um, Scotland. Um, oh, that's
1: good. So, where did they where did they land?
0: So, I think the first recolonization was somewhere called Loch Garten.
1: Um,
0: so, this was in nineteen fifty four. And so this, yeah, would have been an area that maybe had some good sort of tree trees for them to to nest in, Um, maybe had an estuarine environment, things like that. Or it had the loch as well, which would be a they could eat um, source freshwater, freshwater fish.
1: So when we managed to bring the osprey back deliberately in England, did we use birds from Scandinavia or did we manage to get them from Scotland?
0: So I think it was mainly birds from Scotland. So the ones that were reintroduced to Rutland water. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the famous project um, that people associate with ospreys. Ooh, it's where there. they had the um, the nest cam over lockdown. I don't know uh, if you watched yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that was good. Yeah. So that was, that was at Rutland, Rutland water. And so it was in 1996 that they moved chicks from Scotland um and so what what they do is they need to have sort of extensive rigorous licensing mm. to move the chicks and they'll take them when they're quite big so when they're able to look after themselves i think the wings have to be a certain measurement and sounds like the most epic job <laughs> in the world um but people get to climb up the trees to the top of the osprey nest, that is so cool and if there's more than two chicks, so if there's three chicks, they can take up to two, and if there's two chicks, they can take one. So they always have to leave one mm. in the nest. And I guess um, that's probably
1: good anyway because I know a lot of, you know, birds of prey, they have like the air and the spare, and when the air's doing well enough, they will actually kill or kick out the nest the baby chick. So it's probably yeah. quite good for building up the population actually by allowing those downed chicks to to fledge.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, because then the parents can invest in the sort of the singular chick um, and it's more likely to fledge. And then also now, because they've actually they're doing so well in Scotland, I think there's something like over 200 Woo, breeding pairs yes. in Scotland now, um, which is just fantastic. So they're actually saying that the population is not saturated, but for young people young fledglings that are being released into scotland there'll be limited territory for example Oh, that's interesting so if there are fewer birds in scotland um they can support the now the population that's doing really well and then taking the chicks from scotland to places like rutland water and there's also pool harbor as well which is an ongoing translocation i think the last news article I read about it was twenty nineteen, so, so very, very recent. That's very cool. Um and,
1: and that the Pool Harbor one I think is being run by the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation, who do a lot of stuff, satellite tracking and monitoring uh, British birds of prey species, as I understand.
0: Yeah, like he's a very Roy Dennis is fantastic. He like we've talked about him before. He did the tracking with the white-tailed yeah, seagulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's very respected, kind of in the or- ornithological community. And it was basically his project and his idea to bring birds from Scotland down to Rutland Water back in 1996. Oh wow! So he's um, been doing ospreys
1: for a long time. Yeah.
0: So that was also him, and then now with Pool Harbour um he's now working there as well um but it's so exciting because it's the first time they've been back in england at least for 150 years yeah and it's amazing it's now like a real, it's a real success story i think which is very positive in terms of it's the translocations are working the project's all up and running people are getting into ospreys especially over <laughs> lockdown you've got the the cameras watching them so yeah it's quite a because quite a positive thing i think
1: they're hoping that the pool harbour population will then spread east and west along the south coast to other estuaries is that the goal
0: yeah yeah because I, yeah. I know so some have been
1: sighted on the isle of Wight recently
0: yeah 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 so it's that idea of because they they are really kind of strict in their migration routes. Like, they'll use the same routes over and over again, year in, year out. And this is from sort of satellite data um, that they know that they could spread out elsewhere in the UK, which is... And
1: one thing I really like about the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation is they use all these, obviously, the satellite tracking data to understand the movements of these ospreys, but they put it all online. So you can visit their website and you can actually follow these birds as they're making these incredible journeys so i just went on you know to see what the ospreys were doing um and i there there was a fantastic story of an osprey which was tagged called blue df i assume that's something the color of the tag and then maybe the name of its parents Um, so it was a male ringed as a chick in on the 19th of july 2010 by the roy dennis wildlife foundation um, it was a brood of three, which all fledged successfully that year from their summer grounds in Rothiemurchus, a place in Scotland, and by monitoring his satellite tracks, and you can fo- you can actually follow on the website the flight path of this bird, um, and it was discovered that he winters in the Casamance region of Senegal, near the town of Baila, and at his last migration before his transponder ran out of batteries, but they think he's still alive was winter migration in 2017 from Scotland to Senegal which took 19 days which is that's, insane
0: that's so quick how can you travel that far in 19 days he
1: covered 5494 kilometers averaging 600 no, no sorry 268 kilometers per day through Europe and then 313 per day in Africa and they think that's probably because the stronger winds and thermals over the Sahara. So it's cool because it's the type of conservation you can get involved in at home and you can track these birds as they're making these amazing journeys. And I think it's, you know, the best part of conservation is the engagement with people. And I really like what they're doing with these ospreys.
0: I think that's yeah, I really kind of respect that in the Roy Dennis Foundation and other ones where they make their data available to everyone. It's not just like an exclusive research thing. Um, but yeah, like you say, you can follow them and you can actually see where they've travelled. Um, and it gives that a bit more of a connection, I think, with um, with the Ospreys, which is brilliant.
1: Yeah. So is this perhaps quite a, a neat place to round off Ospreys?
0: Yeah, I think that we've given people a bit of an overview <laughs> of um, how they're now doing well. They were kind of exploited in the past. Um, but now attitudes are perhaps changing with people like Roy Dennis kind of being being at the front of that.
1: And it's fantastic that this is a positive story to end this podcast on, I think, because we do need to remember that it is not, it's not all doom and gloom. The Ospreys are back. They're doing well.
0: Yeah, no, it's fantastic that they are. Um, So yeah, just, I guess, thank you for listening to our latest um, video podcast about Ospreys. Um, We hope you enjoyed our (laughs) rambling. (laughs) Um,
1: And yeah, yeah, you can check out more at the Biome by Grizzly website and on Instagram. And if you'd like to check me and Emma out on Instagram, we are Robie Watkinson Wildlife and Emma Hodson Wildlife. So we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.